Today's podcast is sponsored by the guys in the flag jackets. Gary and Jim are the guys in the flag jackets. Every week, these two sit down and discuss a wide variety of political issues, all the way from the weird and wonderful world of local politics to more obscure political ideas and concepts. Ever wondered about the 1979 Chicago mayoral election? Well, I hadn't either until these guys came along and blew my mind. Or did you know that the layout of the ballot can have a crazy influence upon the way you vote? Neither did I, but thankfully Gary and Jim were there to tell me all about it. So if you want a fun and intriguing look into US politics from a unique perspective, check out the guys in the Flag Jackets podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find the link in the description below. I have to admit, I used to be a little bit of a book snob. I wouldn't even consider a Kindle, let alone an audiobook. It just felt like cheating. But that is until I tried Audible and Open Audible. Ever wonder where I find the time to read all the books that my guests have written on this show? Well, this is the answer. When I'm behind in my reading, I just jump to audiobook. Open Audible is a cross-platform audiobook manager designed for Audible users that can allow you to download, view, manage, and connect your favorite audiobooks on MP3 so that you can enjoy them across all your devices. Best of all, you can control it all from a desktop application. I'm giving away a copy of Open Audible for the entire month of November. All you have to do is sign up to my mailing list. You'll find the link in the description below or go to openaudible.org for more information. There you go. Well, where, what, what part of your family was Irish? Uh, from the Southwest. Ah, okay. Well, I am from the Northeast, from Belfast. The shipbuilders. Uh, let me tell you my Belfast story. Yeah, go for it. For the last 22 years, I've traveled all over the world visiting mining projects. And, of course, I followed what was going on in Northern Ireland closely. And I went to see a gold project there uh, probably six or seven years ago. And I flew in. We got off the airplane. And I could hear shooting. Now, Basically, the conflict was over, but I, I was in the military. I listened for gunshots, and I was hearing gunshots. And I actually had to go up to a policeman and say, uh, you know, I, I'm hearing gunshots. What's going on? And there's actually a firing range in the airport itself. Oh, uh. <laughs> Yeah. Not funny, Josh. If you're from Belfast, it's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. People, people don't realize how close to how close it was to, or how recent history it was, and how many people actually died. So it's a, it's a funny one when you start telling people who aren't educated. Because I mean, why would they be if they're not from that part of the world? But yeah, it's... Uh, strange enough, and. And that's a situation I absolutely salute the women and the mothers on both sides who said, this is bullshit, okay? You boys have to stop shooting at each other. We're tired of burying our children. And I have a lot of admiration for people who end wars. Of course, I was in Vietnam. And the real heroes of Vietnam were the draft dodgers and the people who, who were against the war. And everything that they said 
about the deceit and the lies and the bullshit coming from the government. Everything that they said was absolutely true. And if it hadn't been for them, we'd still be fighting the war. It would be another, you know, that would be a 50-year war. Now we only have 20-year wars like Afghanistan. But there was no peace movement for Afghanistan. So it went on, it went on, it went on, it went on. And we finally got our asses kicked by a bunch of goat herders after spending $2.3 trillion. Mm. It's almost like all the money wasn't going directly to the war effort. Uh, there's so much <laughs> of it being recycled, okay? I, I mean, I will give Zelensky credit. He's big on recycling. And, and for FTX to be collecting donations for Ukraine and shoveling money to Ukraine and Ukraine putting money into FTX and FTX paying to the Democrats. I'm just going, how, how, how much more corrupt could you possibly get? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and the, well, the the other interesting bit is it wasn't just the Democrats taking, and they were obviously they were taking more money, as far as I've seen. But like the Repu there were some Republicans taking FTX money too. No, 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 no. That, that was chump change. I mean, it's like forty thousand dollars for a Republican, and you know, two million for a Democrat. Hmm. I, I I don't deny that the Republicans took money, but that was a giant money laundering scheme, yes. and. Today's the thirtieth. He was supposed to speak at some deal in New York City. Ah, yeah, and I don't the New know. York Times. It was a New York Times thing. I wonder if that went ahead. Actually, let's have a little look and see if that actually happened. Um. Anyway, yeah, while that, I, that be, sorry, while I'm looking this up, to be in handcuffs is just you know how do you do that? I have absolutely no idea. That, that that's the 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 craziest thing, especially. Um, when you look at like the the things other people have been arrested for in terms of financial dealings over the past, like like there was uh like like single moms donating to the Canadian truckers getting arrested, Bingo. and he Bingo. is fine. Like <laughs> how about how about Martha Stewart? Okay, Mark, do you remember what Martha Stewart went to jail for? Oh, uh, was like falsely declaring. Um, she failed to declare like some investment she had. I think isn't wasn't that it? She had been given inside information, mm. and she sold on that, and she lied about it. Okay, now you know on a scale of one to a thousand, that's about a two. Okay, but FTX was fraud from the get go, and and. It's it's caused something like thirty two billion dollars worth of damages already, and there's going to be a knock on effect. I mean, we can get into Bitcoin and all that bullshit, but uh, we live in interesting times where you could steal thirty two billion dollars and get away with it. Yes, apparently. Anyway, so um, just like I started rolling here and then we got we got going. So uh, just to provide a little bit of uh, context for people who are listening. Um, this is Bob Moriarty. Thanks for joining me, Bob. Um, you were were a founder of 321gold.com. You've been running it for 22 years. Uh, former Marine uh, fighter pilot from also you were in Vietnam. And um, I believe on one of the other interviews you said you give me a fantastic intro I thought would, would work very well. 
you said that the world is going to change more in the next year or two than it has in the last 50. So I was thinking we could kick off there. Like, why do you think that that is the case? Well, uh, here's what's strange. It already has. Okay. Uh, No one has discussed the magnitude of the war in Ukraine, but that is a game changer. That's probably the most significant geopolitical event in the last 500 years, because what it is at its heart is a conflict between the debt-based financial system of the West and a resource-based financial system that China and Russia and the BRICS are trying to put together. So it is this gigantic battle. But from a strictly military point of view, uh, I have read uh, credible reports that have been something in excess of 200,000 Ukrainian soldiers killed. In Vietnam, there were only uh, 58,000 Americans, and there were only 2 million uh, Vietnamese killed. So 200,000 Ukrainians killed. That is a big war for Ukraine. And of course, it's the biggest war in, in Europe since World War II. I wonder what the population of Ukraine is. 40 million. 40, yeah, 41 million. So 200,000 out of 41 million. That's not an insignificant number of people. Uh, wait a minute. You just, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to make a point. I'm going to prove a point. In my book, I say that ordinary people using facts and logic can come to conclusions. They don't need to be told what to think or how to think. Now, you've got a better number than I did. I had 40 million because I knew it was about 40 million. Let's let's accept it's 41 million. Uh, 70% of Kiev right now has no power. 50% of Kiev has no water. Winter is approaching. What is the population of Ukraine going to be six months from now? Yeah, that's a it's it's a terrifying prospect. I mean, I know quite no, a no, lot. No, 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 I, I, that's not a rhetorical question. That's a serious question. I want you to think about it. What are those forty-one million people going to do? Well, they're going to leave. A lot of them have. Thank you. Bingo. Okay. There are going to be something like 15 to 20 million refugees. Where do you think they're going to go? Well, a lot of them have already gone to Poland. I think Poland have taken like 3 million, something like that. I was in Warsaw recently. Some people were telling me about it. Um, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize I mean, how many they'd taken already. Poland is up to their ears already. Okay. So there's going to be another. 15 to 20 million. The population of Ukraine six months from now, it's going to be 5 million, 6 million, something like that. The Russians have absolutely devastated Ukraine, and there's going to be no fixing the power system anytime soon. What is the impact on Europe going to be uh, trying to feed and clothe and take care of 15 or 20 million Ukrainians? And that is going to be catastrophic. And the strange thing is nobody's talking about it. No, I haven't heard anyone mention this, actually. So it's infrastructure. It's not that they, they lack the power or the, you know, the electric or the, the gas. It's it's literally that the infrastructure has been blown to shreds. Yes. Well, and 
the only thing I fault Putin for, he should have done that six months ago. Uh, Putin is a lawyer and he's a very intelligent guy. And he fought the war strictly according to international law. Wars are really ugly. And the worst thing you can do in a war is to prolong the war. So the sooner you get in and convince your enemy that they need to change their mind, the better it is for everybody. And he should have destroyed the power in, in Ukraine in the first two weeks. He had all the resources to do it. And he was being a nice guy and he was avoiding shooting at civilian targets. It's a war, okay? End the war as fast as you can. You've got to convince the other guy to change his mind. And so Zelensky sitting there, coked up to the hill, <laughs> saying, you're never going to give an inch of ground. What do you mean you're not going to give an inch of ground? You've already lost to Donbass, you blithering fool. But uh, I, I would say that Boris Johnson and Zelensky have the blood of probably 200,000 Ukrainians on their hand. And, and that is a terrible tragedy. I fault the Ukrainians in the United States for starting the war in the first place, but it has been devastating to Ukraine. And the sooner they come to the table, the sooner they sober up and say, we lost this war eight months ago, uh, the better off everybody's going to be. Those, those 15 or 20 million refugees, that's a giant problem. I'll, I'll say candidly, I, I don't think that Europe can cope with that. It, it's going to be a problem. Mm, I mean, we saw how they coped with the, the migrant crisis in 2012-13. So, and that didn't exactly go well for for them. There was a lot of, yeah, a lot of fighting, <laughs> a lot of human life lost unnecessarily, probably. Um, but just to, I know there's going to be people listening to this um saying well this is you know this is russia's fault they shouldn't have invaded like the the you know there was no need that there was um you know that they started this war right and the, to say that the 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 lives or the blood of 200,000 ukrainians rests on the on the shoulders of or on the hands of of boris johnson and and vladimir zelensky that would seem like a slightly outrageous statement to perhaps some people who who maybe haven't been paying as close attention to it as you so why in a nutshell would you say that they are responsible for 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 these deaths okay that's a excellent excellent question let me give you a little history at the end of world war ii the united states looked at the soviet union as a potential competitor and even though Nominally, we were supposed to be allies with Soviet Union. In fact, the United States was setting up uh, to, to literally attack Russia. Uh, George Patton wanted to continue to the east, okay? Very few people are aware of that, but uh, Patton wanted to, once he got through with the Germans, he wanted to get through, go through with the Russians. But what people don't realize is, the Russians killed 90% of the Germans who died in com combat during World War II were killed by the Russians in the Soviet Union. One of the things that's interesting is that the biggest war crimes 
took place on the Eastern Front, and there were at least 100,000 Jews and Poles and Russians murdered in cold blood by the Nazis. What nobody mentions today is they weren't German Nazis, they were Ukrainian Nazis. When Germany marched into Ukraine, they were welcomed with open arms by the Ukrainians who hate the Russians. So at the end of World War II, there were some terrible war crimes that had been committed by the Ukrainian Nazis, and there was not a single Ukrainian Nazi charged with war crimes. There has effectively been a war going on by the United States against USSR, first of all, and then Russia now, since then. Now, let's fast forward to 2014. Uh, Victoria Newland and the United States and the CIA sponsored a coup d'etat, and they overthrew the democratically elected government of Ukraine which favored Russia. But because they favored Russia, the United States was against them. So the United States and Victoria Newland, you can go to uh, YouTube and find it. Victoria Newland brags about the United States having spent $5 billion to bring democracy to Ukraine. Well, a lot of the $5 billion ended up in, in the oligarch's hands and in Zelensky's hands. After the coup d'etat and after the murder of 44 people in Odessa in the trade unions building by the Nazis, and these are very real Nazis, these aren't neo-Nazis, these are real Nazis, uh, Donbass voted in an independent election said, we don't want to be part of that government. And they actually went to the Russians and said, we would like to join Russia because we are Russians. And Putin and the Russians said, no, uh, you're Ukrainian, okay? And, and you could be independent of the government, but you're still Ukrainian. Now, Putin did seize Crimea, but Crimea has been part of Russia since 1783. The election in 2014 in Donbass was internationally supervised and something above 90% of the people voted to have independence from the illegal Ukrainian government. So there were two governments involved. There was the illegal Ukrainian government, and then there was democracy in Donbass. And of course, nobody in the United States or the CIA or NATO is going to admit it was a democratic election. And they said, we don't want to be part of the thugs. Ukraine attacked Donbass between 2014 and 2022. There were 14,000 mostly civilians killed in Donbass. Nobody shed a tear over them. The Ukrainians were attacking civilian targets. They were not attacking military targets. That was not a military expedition. It was a, a deliberate effort to terrorize civilians. If you go back to February of, of 2022, on February 17th or 17th, uh, 19th, Zelensky actually said 
that he wanted Ukraine to have nuclear weapons. And he said he fully intended to have uh, Ukraine join NATO. Now, 30 years ago, at the separation of, of Germany, when the reunification talks took place, the United States, uh, let me think of who was involved. I think it was just the United States and the USSR agreed in writing that NATO would not move one inch to the east. Since then, NATO has added 14 countries to the east. To the extent that Putin is absolutely correct in saying the intent is to threaten Russia. Putting nuclear weapons in Ukraine would be a red line that absolutely the Russians would not, could not possibly tolerate. And Putin made that clear and the West ignored him. Well, after 2014, when the Ukrainians attacked Donbass, the fighting went on for two years. And there was a peace treaty called Minsk II that was supervised by the French, the British, the Americans, and the Germans that said Ukraine would stop shelling Donbass and there would be fair elections in Donbass to see who represented the people. And of course, uh, uh, Poroshenko has now admitted that they lied. They had no intention whatsoever of implementing Minsk II and instead they were preparing for an attack. And nobody says this because it wasn't in the mainstream media, but Ukraine had 100,000 troops on the border of Donbass, and they were going to invade Donbass about March 10th. So instead of this being an aggressive move by Putin, it was actually self-defense on the part of Putin. The aggression was on the part of the U.S., NATO, and Ukraine. The war actually ended from a military point of view in the first week. When you gain air control over a territory, you control that territory. It should have ended in March, and Boris Johnson went to Kiev, talked to Zelensky, and said, we're going to give you all the weapons you want, and we're quite willing to fight to the last drop of Ukrainian blood. And since Zelensky's former occupation was a comedian and who has made over a billion dollars raping the people of Ukraine, Zelensky said, fine, you keep shipping weapons and we'll keep shipping troops and, and burying them when they get killed by the Russians. I believe the kill ratio is eight or ten to one. The Russians have always been winning this thing. They're going to win it. It, it literally is a question of life or death for the Russians. They cannot have a nuclear-armed Ukraine next door, period. So there is no situation in which the Russians will ever back down. And the last thing they would do, if some magical reason NATO and, and Europe got together and actually defeated the Russians, the last thing he would do is push a button. And that would end the world, which I, I would be against. Well, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> um, it's 
and like again, something you've said there is just something that that unless I was speaking to people who have been watching this, my one hundred percent impression would be that Russia were getting trounced, their equipment was outdated, they were losing the war, that this was all going to end badly for them, that there was no way that this could there could be any victory for Russia. And and I wonder why on earth it's like why am why are we not hearing this story on on BBC News on um you know on their build or um in Germany or um in on CNN like or MSNBC like what why are we not hearing this as like a because this is that plus you know what you talked about the refugees is is like seemingly a massive fucking problem. And, and well, uh, that's a good question. Let me give you a simple answer. Uh, are you, and it's a serious question, are you allowed to discuss specifics of COVID? On this show? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, go for it. I haven't okay. been taken down yet. <laughs> okay, well. Don't mention, don't mention ivermectin. <laughs> that's the thing that got me, that's the thing that got me a video banned. I, I can't tell you how disappointed I was that there were so many other people who had been blacklisted. I thought, my God, what am I doing wrong? I mean, I, I'm still being listened to. I'm still on YouTube. I'm still on Twitter. I mean, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> okay, let's go back to COVID. And this is a simple question. It's a serious question. It's not rhetorical. I, I could name 20 issues of COVID that we were told, okay, of the 20 issues, how many of them were true? I'm going to say none, probably. Thank you. Thank you. Bingo. Correct answer. Okay. Every single word we were taught about COVID, every single word was a lie. Now let me go you one better. Did you see what Fauci just said under oath about funding the COVID and the Wuhan lab? Oh, is this the deposition? I haven't been paying attention. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What did he say? This literally in the last day or two, he said, I, I don't remember if we funded it or not. Wow. Yeah, I saw I saw a headline about him saying, I, I, I do not recall. That's yeah, gone oh, quite a long way here, since. Um, beautiful. Let, let me go. Let me backtrack. I'll give you another one. People have information that if they will glue it all together, uh, it makes sense. Now, I I was a junior in high school. I guess I was sixteen years old the day John F. Kennedy was shot, and I was in high school in Fort Worth, and of course he was shot in Dallas. He had been at Fort Worth the night before. I actually saw his motorcade coming from Carswell Air Force Base into downtown Fort Worth. Okay, that's how close I was to it. Every single American that I've ever talked to that were around when Kennedy was killed knew exactly where they were when they heard it, except for one person. There was one person who doesn't remember where he was. Got any idea who that was? George Bush Sr. No way. 
<laughs> George Bush Sr. says... Was he the CIA director? Uh, there the are records indicating I was in Dallas, but I, I don't remember when, when Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, George Bush was the head of the CIA. You don't yeah. remember when Kennedy was assassinated? Who do you think you're kidding? So so basically what I'm saying is if 100% of what we were told about COVID was a lie, how much of, of the Ukraine situation is a lie? And the answer is quite simple, 100%. Now, I am an equal opportunity anarchist. Okay, I despise all governments equally. Every once in a while, a head pops up that actually has something interesting to say, but it's so rare that I can say I despise them all equally. They're a bunch of corrupt, narcissistic, lying, psychopath fools, okay? And and I, I think it was Thomas Jefferson said the best government is the least government. And I absolutely <laughs> believe that. But uh, basically, ever since at least 2020, 100% of the mainstream media is lying about everything. That's a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow is uh, <laughs> people will cling to their narrative like like rats trying to find the last bit of wood in a sinking ship uh, that's true but here's what you need to think about when a revolution occurs what percentage of the people actually are in favor of the revolution how high do you think it is Because I've seen things written about needing like 5% of the population to be highly committed to something like that. Is that about Bingo. right? Bingo. It's very small. If you get 5 to 10%, you're doing very well. Uh, I, I, I hate to be negative, even though I am. <laughs> okay. Uh, most people are idiots. Okay. They believe what they're told at and that's it. The very best book I, I've ever read about finance is called Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. And it was written in 1841. And it's basically about 30 stories of how stupid people act. There was one time in Russia that if you grew a beard, they would execute you. The next time they had an emperor change, if you didn't grow a beard, they would execute you. But but when you go back, when you read this book and you read stupidity of the tulip bulb craze and stupidity of this and the stupidity of this and stupidity of this, you realize, you know, people are really dumber than bricks. And I, I've written a book called Nobody Knows Anything. And I argue, and I think convincingly in the book, uh, that this idea that there's something such as gurus and experts is bullshit. And when you see somebody who, who uh, Fauci was the highest paid government official in the United States, and when he's asked, did you fund COVID in Wuhan? He says, well, I, I, I don't know. 
I don't really? Yeah. I don't understand how that's an acceptable answer. It's like, why are you possibly well, responsible I... for creating a thing that, that, that has caused more economic damage to the global economy than possibly anything ever? Well, it, oh, I don't it remember. absolutely the greatest biological terror weapon in history. And the number of people actually killed by COVID, okay, is far smaller than what they admitted. There are two studies that I've seen that indicate if you take the figures the United States government put out, uh, somewhere between three and six percent of it was was accurate. That's that's really funny because I saw the door kind of open before, and I've got a dog here. That's a cat, right? Yeah, yeah. You... I, I've got a dog here, and the dog sits here and nuzzles my leg while we're talking. No, the cat just gets uh, frustrated if he can't get in and out the door. He doesn't necessarily need to be in here. He just needs to be able to get in here. <laughs> and my flatmate's it's, not it's... home, so I, I had I had a, I had a feeling he was going to crash the party at some point, but he's just in the corner. It's, a, it's a cat thing. Cats are like women. They do what they feel like. <laughs> well... I can't say that that's not what Max does, unfortunately. But anyway, um, so one of the, another one that you had, you, I was watching that, some of your interviews, you just, you really great quotes, man. You just bash, bash them out. Um, you described, and I think this ties into to what we were talking about, this is why I'm bringing it up. You described the um, economic response to COVID as um, pouring gasoline onto fire. Uh, would you like to explain what you meant by that statement? Inflation comes from printing money. Now, I know of no medical emergency in American history where the government felt they needed to pay for it. And most people don't realize this, but hospitals were getting paid uh, as little as $39,000 up to $100,000 for treating COVID patients. So naturally, there were a lot of COVID patients. One of the 20 things that was an absolute lie was the accuracy of the PCR test. And there was somebody very famous who proved how flawed the PCR test was. Do you remember who that was? Oh, I don't actually. Just off the top of my head, I can't think Elon of Musk. Ah, uh, yeah. Mm. Elon Musk took the PCR test four times in one day. The identical test given by the same person and tested by the same lab. And two of the tests came out positive and two of the tests came out negative. There were nurses in the hospitals in New York that were taking the swabs, not doing anything with them, sending them in for testing, and they were coming out positive. The president of Tanzania tested a goat, and it tested positive for COVID. And he said, you know, this bullshit. So he tested a fruit called Papa. 
It it tested positive. <laughs> okay, to go back go back to COVID. Hospitals have this gigantic financial incentive. Okay, to to say we got a big problem with COVID, and the government poured money into it, and because they had the lockdowns, which was incredibly stupid and ineffective, and they shut kids out of school, which is ineffective and incredibly stupid. They literally destroyed the economy. So the United States poured literally trillions of dollars of debt onto uh, a fire. Okay, that can only result in inflation, and that's where we are now. Let me give you another example. Is Britain still subsidizing the cost of fuel? Um, I believe so at the minute, yeah. Okay. Who pays that? Well, that would be the British government. Well, that would be the British taxpayer. Well, that would probably Thanks. be the Bank of England. Um, ultimately. No, 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 no. The Bank of England just runs a printing press. The mm. government just runs a printing press. Everything government spend gets paid. It has to be. It gets paid either in taxes or inflation or in uh, default. Since taxpayers don't like taxes going up, they put up with inflation. And what really should happen is we should write the debt off entirely. But this idea that the government can subsidize increased costs is bullshit. Okay, you're taking money out of your right hand pocket and putting it in your left hand pocket. The taxpayers are going to pay for it one way or another. And the devastation of the sanctions on Europe, I cannot stress how stupid and short sighted that was. And it is going to destroy the EU, which was already shaky. Uh, because they're just pumping money in into a corpse. Yeah, I'm not sure how the EU is going to deal with this coming winter. I, I have this fear that what's going to happen is we'll get to January, there'll be a cold snap, and um, Mr. Putin will be, oh, well, we've got work, we've got to do some work on these pipelines, no long overdue, and then the, the pipelines will just stop running just as it gets really cold. No, 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 no. It, it gets better. How many pipelines were there? Oh, I don't know, actually. I've, yeah. Three, four, maybe? Come on, come on. Three or four? Four? How many of them got blown up? At least one. Three? What? When the fuck How many are left? Well, that would be one, but what, there was there was Nord Stream. What were the other two? Nord Stream 2. Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 were actually two pipelines for each. So there were four pipelines. Nord Stream 1 was two, an A and a B, and Nord Stream 2 was two, an A and B. The Americans are so incompetent, they are so used to losing wars, that they go in there and blow up Nord Stream and only hit three out of the four targets. Now, what if the Germans sobered up after Oktoberfest and said, you know, I got six sweaters on and it's still cold in here. Uh, 
the pipeline still works and all our infrastructure works. And, you know, I thought about it and decided I'd like to have the temperature over 16 degrees. Why don't I sit down and and talk to Putin and see if we can get along? Now, I'm going to say something that nobody else is saying and everybody needs to understand. And this is absolute. Europe needs Russia. Russia does not need Europe. So the guy who has all the aces in his hands is Putin. And if the Germans would pull their heads out of their butt, they could go to Putin and said, you know, we thought about it. We kind of screwed up. We're sorry we sent all those tanks and you blew them up. But uh, we'd like to get along. Uh, I, I, I cannot imagine anyone not understanding you don't have to like your next-door neighbor. Your next-door neighbor can be a jerk. However, he is still your next-door neighbor. Uh, Russia has more natural resources than any country on Earth, and they're happy to sell them. They were selling gas at a great price, and they, they bear a lot of the responsibility for the financial stability of Europe, okay, and now Europe's paying four to seven times as much and getting gas from the United States. And the United States is sitting there giggling. And, and this is how evil these people are in the United States. After Nord Stream was bl- blown up, and let's be candid here, the Americans did it. The Swedes know it. The Danes know it. The Poles know it. The Germans know it. The British know it. And the Americans know it. So everybody said, "Oh, oh, we don't, we don't know who blew it up." That's bullshit. <laughs> okay, the Americans blew it up. After the Americans blew it up, Blinken came out and said, "This is a wonderful opportunity for the United States to sell overpriced gas to Europe." And I thought, "Did that idiot just say that? Is he stupid?" <laughs> Let them figure out for themselves that we've screwed them. I like to think there was a time when that would happen and some journalists would stand up and say, hang on a second, just, just you know, they'd say to the press secretary, like, is there no conflict of interest here with what you're saying? Like, is this not a bit weird timing? You know, when they would dare to, to challenge the... I don't even know what to call it. Military, corporate, pharma, big tech, yeah, yeah. government empire thing that they have. I don't know what to there, call it. There is, there is one reporter in Europe. One. And he's in jail. Because he told the truth. Assange, I guess. Of course. Yeah. He blew the whistle on the United States and he proved the United States was committing war crimes. And rather than say, well, gee, you know, we're really sorry we blew up all those civilians. Okay. They said we need to fake some kind of BS on on Assange and put him in jail. And I'm really disappointed in the Brits. Okay. If you compare the American legal system to the British legal system, 
Do you recall how many times the British legal system in Northern Ireland came up and said, you know, we did some really ugly things in Northern Ireland and we put people in jail and we just made up the stuff and, and we're sorry for doing that. Mm -hmm. The United States never does that. Okay. But the Brits actually came out and said, we did some things that were wrong yeah. and we're sorry we did them and we're not going to do them again until next time. But they had at, at least admitted it. But for them to keep uh, Assange in what is effectively a concentration camp on total nonsense charges is a reflection on every taxpayer in Britain. And then for the police to just the the British police to just go into the Ecuadorian embassy like the yeah the 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 entire Assange story is is disgusting really um, and well, the, the CIA wanted to assassinate him and I believe the CIA are probably the ones using some sort of I don't know direct energy sonic weapon on him and this is not mad this is literally Niels Meltzer from the fucking UN um has done like a massive amount of work on this and they believe that yeah assange is being targeted by by weird sonic -y weapons whilst in in uh i in prison. I, I, I don't doubt it um I, i'll give you a little bit of my background in vietnam i was an f4 pilot from uh july of 1968 till november 68 and then i was a bird dog pilot from november 68 until July of uh, 69. And of course, while I was there, there were about 550,000 Americans in uniform. And here we are 50 some years later, I've only in the last few years come to realize that it was far more of a CIA war than it was an American military war. Of course, CIA is very quiet about what they do but it was the CIA stirring up shit right from the get-go. The whole uh, Gulf of Tonkin incident was CIA, okay? We sent up a bunch of South Vietnamese PT boats to attack a, a North Vietnamese naval station. And this idea, well, you know, we had these two destroyers sailing peacefully in the South China Sea, not as bullshit, okay? But it was all CIA and... Every book that I've ever read about the CIA concluded that it's a pretty evil organization. And I've had some direct dealings with them, both in Vietnam and my, my nephew was in the Special Forces and he was one of three people killed in Jordan six years ago. And, of course, these special forces are, are the CIA's private army. Mm -hmm. And that was all because the special forces were training the terrorists to go attack Assad in Syria. And, and the terrorists said, hey, wait a minute. When the Americans go into battle, you've got artillery and you've got airstrikes and you've got helicopters and you pick up the wounded and all that. And we want the same thing. And the CIA said, screw you, okay? Mm -hmm. You got pain, you got weapons, what else do you want? So the king of Jordan literally had one of his tribesmen murder three out of four 
special forces people, including my nephew. And uh, I, I, I will never forgive or forget. Yeah, I mean, I, can, I can't blame you at all. I'd, I'd be similarly furious, I guess. It's, and the yeah, the CIA or the, every single person I talk to, there's no one I talk to go, no, nah, they're fine. It's a totally, you know, they're 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 good guys, you know. There's there's no one that says well, that. <laughs> Harry Truman started the CIA in 1947. And by 1950, he said if he had known that it was going to turn into the way it it turned into, um, he would have never formed them in the first place. They are a rogue organization, utterly out of control. And we've got it. The FBI is out of control. The Department of Justice is out of control. The CIA is out of control. NSA is totally out of control. Mm -hmm. What we are watching in America is a dysfunctional nation at end of empire, literally collapsing into its own caldera. And, and unfortunately, millions of people are going to die and millions of people already have died. Yeah, I mean, I still have, I still retain hope that there may be a change that, that doesn't lead to massive amounts of death because revolutions are messy and every single time every single time that table gets flipped it's almost almost always the crazy people end up in charge the most extreme like uh, murderous committed in in both yeah, senses I mean people you know they're the ones that that have the they believe so deeply in their cause that they will die for it. And that's the reason that they end up at the, at the, in the positions of power when everything gets, you know, when, when it's just chaos, you know, you, the, the, the most committed and, and most possibly ideologically driven, but I mean, you could, you could give them any reason to go, <laughs> but it's always the crazy people that end up in charge. Right. And that always ends with some sort of horrible dictatorship that was worse than what became before. Um, unless we get very lucky, right? And I don't want to, to roll those dice. I am so, like, and you, you, you mentioned in another interview that, that you, you felt that this may be the first time ever that we're witnessing a world, a worldwide revolution of sorts. Can you give me no, some? No, 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 no. Hey, hey, it's not a worldwide revolution of sorts. Mm. It's a worldwide revolution. Mm. And it's in a book that I wrote uh, six years ago called The Art of Peace. And on the very last page, I talk about the debt situation in the world. And I describe uh, that we're in a banking crisis because the banks are, are all bankrupt. And when people wake up to the fact their money has just disappeared overnight, they're going to be pretty pissed. Uh, we're in that revolution now. You were talking about Brazil earlier. There's there's a lot of protests going on mm -hmm. in Brazil, but there are protests going on in something like 36 nations in the world. Uh, Sri Lanka, okay, was absolutely one of them. 3,000 people killed in one day, okay, at the beginning of that. Uh, I wish 
people were not so stupid. However, I'm old enough that they are that stupid and they are going to do stupid things and the crazies are going to be in charge. Uh, if you go back to the book of uh, the fourth turning mm. written about 20 years ago, the authors of that book say sometime starting around 2005, you're going to go into the fourth turning and you've got a chance of going into total totalitarianism or people opting for freedom. And I believe that we're seeing that now. The premier of Alberta province in Canada uh, was just elected. She came out and she said, look, everything the province did about COVID, everything the province did about COVID was wrong. And I apologize. And we made a mistake. And we're going to try to make up for it. Wow. Trudeau, who is a blithering idiot of the first class, Trudeau just came out a couple of days ago and said he totally supports uh, the the people in China fighting against the COVID restrictions of the Chinese government. This is the same guy that was stealing bank accounts from from people who donated as little as fifty dollars. Okay, mm -hmm. who didn't have the guts to go out and talk to the Canadian truck drivers. But he supports the protesters in China. I mean, how much, how how could you be more hypocritical than that? I have no idea. Like, but but honestly, I look at things like that, and I just, I'm just, are you just, are you just saying these things? Like, do you like, are you just reading a script? Do you even know what you're going to say before you walk out and see it on the teleprompter? Like, is is it that like because? Because people, people, this this debate comes up like these sorts of hypocritical things come up all the time. Like I remember watching Kamala Harris talk about about how committed the U.S. government, the, the Democrats were to, you know, the the they were committed to ensuring that the government never had control over your body, that that your you know personal medical decisions were going to be your choice. And I was like, am I am I living? Is this like? Berenstein Bears, like like um, Mandela effect here, like because I swear, six months ago, you didn't think like this. Six months ago, someone who suggested that was a terrorist. Like, it's, uh, what are they doing? Is it just gaslighting? Is this just the you know the the you can't break the the I facade? I want you to wait for one minute. I've got to run downstairs and I've got to pick up a book. I want to show you. <laughs> okay. Well, while you're doing that, um, I will. I've pulled up this thing for people to have a look at. Um, it's the live stream that I did with Greg Foss. Um, so we're just gonna. I'm gonna pull up some of the footage that I had on during it. There was the truckers. There was the people partying. These are the people that were were arrested for doing the same thing as people in China are currently doing. They were told, no, 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 you cannot possibly protest this. You are terrorists and Nazis and awful people. And that's not what I was seeing. I was seeing a bunch of ordinary people. But yes, sorry, I was just taking people through some of the, like I did an episode about the Canadian truckers. I thought I'd share that while we were waiting. So what's the book? Kamala Harris, Word Salad. <laughs> 
I, I put together about 40 of her quotes. And when you read all 40 of them, you can conclude that is one truly stupid woman. I, I, I came out with that about a month ago. I've done 10 books total. And that was really funny to do. I'm reading this saying, did she really say that? <laughs> she she was doing an interview. Of course, she's the czar for Biden, uh, the border czar. She was doing a long interview. And the guy said, uh, when are you going to go to the border? And she said, I've been to the border. And he said, no, you haven't. And she said, well, I haven't been to Europe either. <laughs> I was thinking, did she really say that? Okay. She lied, first of all. She got caught in the lie. And then she came back. Well, I'll just throw this out there. But I, I mean, it was a really funny book. Uh, it, it can be read in about 30 minutes. And you read all these incredibly stupid comments. She's like, my God, do we have a bunch of blithering idiots running the world? And the answer is, yeah. We really do. Yeah. Slightly depressing. I remember getting told, you know, it's the people that work hard. They're the ones that get somewhere. You know? You, do you believe in Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny, too? The <laughs> Tooth Fairy? Uh, well, I still believe you work hard, you'll you'll get your reward. But I, I don't believe that the people who are in the positions of power have worked hard to get there. Or if they have, they have worked hard in a way that... <laughs> People would consider it to perhaps be immoral. I, I have, have read some serious discussions that concludes like 95% of politicians are sociopaths. They will lie, cheat, and steal mm. just to advance themselves. And we've got an interesting situation in the world today where the concentration of wealth is greater than it's ever been in history. And uh, one, one of the things that I discuss that I don't think anybody else discusses, the stability of a nation is based on the size of the middle class. I was trying to find, there was a book and you've just, it's called The Squeeze. Basically it argues that the countries with the least um, amount of inequality from top to bottom are the most stable. Um, and uh, which is... That's I tried to bring this up to someone, right? This this idea, this actual idea, it was a uh, professor David Edgerton. He's just written a book called "The Rise and Fall of the British Empire." Um, historian, um, science and tech professor, like really smart, switched on, tuned in sort of guy. And I said, "Do you think why why are the people in power not concerned about this massive expansion of 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 in, of, of inequality? Because it's not." I am not in any way like some sort of like, um, like, you know, UBI communist. Like, I still believe we should have the capitalist system that, you know, worked in the 60s and 70s before it got horrendously corrupted. But um, I, I asked him, I was like, do you, do you see it as a problem? And do the people in power not realize this problem where like a country is, I think they say three meals from a revolution. And like, there's so many countries in the West and world and the developed world 
who are pushing like the the middle and lower classes closer and closer and closer to poverty like the po like in poverty is always a difficult metric because it's the government who calculates the figures but there's like 14 million people in britain in poverty that's nearly a quarter of the population and like if this keeps going and most of this has been driven the last sort of 12 years with the with the the fucking money printing the quantitative easing like, does no one at the top see this problem and go? No, they they don't. They actually see it as an opportunity. The World Economic Forum. Have they read about the French story. Revolution? Like, that's what happens. Well, the French Revolution <laughs> took place because people couldn't afford food. But there's one thing that I, I'm going to tell you, you're close, but you're not quite there. How many societies have rich people? Well, all of them. Okay, how many societies have poor people? Well, all of them. All of them. Thank you. Okay. So the real key is not the rich and the poor, and it's not even the disparity between the two. The key is the size of the middle class. Now, the sanctions have put 60% of, of Germans into living paycheck to paycheck, okay? We're destroying very stable societies because we're killing the middle class, okay? And it is the size of the middle class. If, if in 1789, if the French middle class had been prosperous and, and lots of them, there wouldn't have been a revolution, okay? But the revolutions take place when people can't afford to buy food. Now, we're going to go there. We're going to be there. And, and in, in, in my book, okay, The Art of Peace, when I talk about the banking system, there's $300 trillion worth of debt in the world. It simply cannot be paid. Every economist ever born understands that, but nobody discusses it. We need to be saying, okay, what do we do about this debt and how do we prevent this from happening again? And, you know, we've got a president who says, I, God, I can't remember what the number is. It's pretty scary. It's like 30 million American college students have student debt. The total amount of debt is like $3 trillion. And he said, okay, we're going to forgive the debt. Well, first of all, they're not going to forgive the debt. What they're going to do is transfer the debt from the back of the person who borrowed the money onto the backs of taxpayers. So it's not forgiving the debt. But he comes up, the program just prior to the election says, okay, here's all this. Here's this freebie we're going to give you. The Supreme Court comes in and says, by the way, that happens to be illegal. You can't do it. So he comes back and says, okay, well, we're going to do it a different way. There is no free lunch, period. Everything has to be earned and everything has to be paid for. And we need to stop thinking government is the solution because in 100% of the situation, government is the problem. The guys who created the problem are not the guys who are going to come up with the solution. Mm. Well, we could get into the semantics of whether that's always the case. But in all of the cases that we've been discussing today, the government has been the one creating the problem. Um, 
so it kind of what what you talked about there kind of brings me on to the last thing I want to ask you about, and I know we've run past the art, but I really would like to ask about this. It's about the the basically I, I've been yeah. So another of your quotes: um, the debt based system that's been in place since fourteen ninety two is over. Um, and you've talked about Russia and China attempting to build a new currency. Um, we've talked a little bit about quantitative easing and, and sort of this debasement of, of, of currency. We've talked about um, how this, a lot of these things are just sort of, if you looked at history, you would know that this is how it works. Um, like even the whole way back to, um, to the Romans who debased their own currency by making it made of less and less and less gold. I learned that in another podcast with Luke Mikic. Um, people can check that out if they want. But essentially, I wanted to know what you think is happening here with with this with this system. So, so obviously, to your mind, the the debt based system is is coming to an end, right? What okay, is it? Let me let me okay. Let me define it, okay. And this actually goes back to Roman and Greek times, okay. However, it got serious in fourteen ninety two when. Columbus uh, located the Bahamas. Uh, in a debt-based system, a person borrows money and puts up collateral. If they pay the money back, okay, they get their collateral back. If they don't pay the money back, the lender takes the collateral now, if you go back to Babylonian times, the same thing happened. Farmers would borrow money to plant their crops, and it would be a bad harvest, and they wouldn't make enough money, and they couldn't pay their debts. And the Babylonian king said, you know, if we kick the farmers off the fields, their fields, we're not going to have any food, and that's a bad idea. So they came up with the concept of a jubilee. Now, I said before, all debt gets paid. It gets paid either by the borrower or by the lender. That's a situation in which the kings realized it was bad for the society to take the property from the farmers. So every 50 years or so, there was a jubilee. Now, I personally, my opinion is that's what we should do today. Most people disagree with me, but that's okay, too. Uh, what would that look like in the modern day? Do you mean just a jet debt jubilee, just generally? Just yeah. Debt? I mean, strange enough, I, 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 I say write it all off and start all over again. There was a specific event. There was a decision by the French king, Louis XV, that bankrupted France. How, how good are you at history? Eh, not bad. Okay. What was the decision? What did, what did the king of France do that bankrupted France? I want to say went to war with the English. But that's probably not the right. No, 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 no. You're really close. Okay. But how did he do it? Uh, I'm gonna say he borrowed a lot of money in nope. order to do it. No, no, nope. no, no. Nope. Okay. He got involved in the American Revolutionary War, and the whole purpose was eh, to the Brits. Okay, he didn't have to get involved in the war. There was nothing in it for France, but he was going eh. 
to the Brits. They're doing the same thing still today. You know, it's a French thing. Uh, that was in 1776 through 1782. And by 1789, the king was totally, absolutely bankrupt. And, and people in Paris couldn't afford wheat. So there was a revolution. Uh, literally all uh, empires end when they get involved in military adventurism. Okay, and that's exactly what he was doing. Now I lost track. What were we talking about? Help me out here. Um, I was I basically I was moving towards this like like this debt bit system is coming to an end. Like what what do you uh, believe okay. that Russia yeah, and China yeah. are building? Yeah, uh, it, here's the key. The debt based system rewards what it's called the renters. Okay, if you own a house and you rent it, you get the benefit of the debt-based system. The banks, obviously. But as long as there is interest charged on a loan, there is always more debt than there is money. So sooner or later, you have to have some kind of balancing the books, okay, which in Babylonian times that they did with a jubilee. In a resource-based system money has to have value now literally the french king spent all the gold and silver of france okay so there was no more money for subsidies or or giving wheat to people or anything else uh i i've got That is the currency of the French Revolution, okay, called an assignat. And they printed them like crazy, and they became worthless. So in 1796, they printed something called the Mandat, M-A-N-D-A-T, and printed them like crazy, and they became worthless. And then in 1798, a French colonel staged uh, an internal coup d'etat and he went back to a golden uh, silver based system you remember who that was that uh, no, wasn't napoleon was it yeah of course it was yeah okay <laughs> yeah yeah okay you're good you're good you're really good uh the, i keep thinking there's like trick it. trick questions <laughs> <laughs> they're not trick questions. They're easy questions. They're things that everybody knows. They just don't know that they know. Um, who invented the metric system? Oh, that I don't know. French. Okay. Oh, the Jacobins probably, right? Well, I don't know. <laughs> uh, they come in and change. They change the whole bunch of like, like the the financial systems, the calendar, everything. I assume. Yeah, I mean that was all good things. A meter is this long, okay? A gram weighs this much. This is a liter. You need to have things fixed. If the value of, of or, or if the the length of a meter changed every day, how could you make a suit? Okay, if you were a chef and the quantity in a liter changed every day, how, how could you make 
bully base. You couldn't, okay? And, and the key is money has to be fixed too. Now, between noon today and noon tomorrow, the value of the United States dollar will change 10,000 times, hmm. truly, okay? If a Martian came to Earth and said, what do you guys use for length? And you said, well, we use meters. What do you use for weight? Well, we use a gram. What do you do for liquid? Well, Jack Daniels. No, not that kind of liquid, you idiot. Um, a liter, okay? What do you do for money? Oh, that changes. How often does it change? Well, 10,000 times a day. <laughs> yeah. You can't do that. You can't make business decisions when money is a variable. Money should be fixed. We are going to go back to a gold and silver based standard. Uh, the, the Russians and the Chinese, first of all, have been accumulating a lot of gold. And I believe this is deliberate. And I believe they know exactly what they're doing. And they're talking about going to a resource-based system. But, you know, when a resource-based system is based on wheat and when it's based on oil and when it's based on nickel and copper, mm. that's kind of hard to administer. However, if it's based on gold and silver, it's very easy to administer. And I think they will go back to a gold standard, uh, not because anybody wants to. They're going to go back to a gold standard because they have to. The sanctions are going to destroy the EU. They're going to destroy uh, the euro. It's going to destroy NATO, and it's going to destroy the U.S. and the U.S. dollar. It may take a year or two to do, but it's going to happen. It's already been set in motion. Okay, well, that's a little scary. Um, no, 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 it's actually a good thing. I, okay. It's definitely a good thing, but it's scary because of the thing that I was talking about before with the, the revolution you know that it's it's a roll of the dice you know to see who ends up on top basically you know i don't want some i don't want the bolsheviks you know i don't want uh your your argument is valid How, however it's probably naive um order james mitchner's book on Iran, okay, because he he writes about the revolution in Iran, and, and you are absolutely correct. There were 15 or 20 groups in Iran. I took the last aircraft into Tehran before the Shah got overthrown. Uh, nobody knows this, but the Shah had a twin sister, and his twin sister had the rights to fly oil workers from Tehran to Abadad, which is in the center of the oil district. She had a fleet of like 30 aircraft and every aircraft paid for itself every month. And I took an F-27 to Tehran in November 1978 and he was overthrown in february of uh, 1979 but if you read that book you're going to realize i mean you are absolutely correct in saying it is terrifying and the nutcases are in charge but life's a bitch then you die yeah well it's gonna come to all of us isn't it yeah well 
I, I still have this naive hope that perhaps the right people will end up on top. You know, the fourth turn in um, isn't the final turn in. It's just the fourth well, no, turn in of this I, cycle. <laughs> The book was a very good book because they were absolutely accurate in, in in their time frame. And everybody's aware the book calls for potentially a totalitarian government. Anybody who looks at the world today and doesn't see a totalitarian government needs to open their eyes. Ninety <laughs> percent of the governments in the world. Look at all the stupidity of COVID. Name a nation. Okay, that didn't turn totally stupid. Sweden would be one. Denmark came out and said, okay, no shots for anybody under 50. Uh, there are a few points of light. However, uh, 196 countries in the world and 194 of them were stupid. Yeah, I thought Texas secession's looking pretty good right about now. <laughs> Texas, Texas, it's in their constitution. It's actually legal for them to do that. <laughs> yeah, well, that Texas, Florida, I think it was North Dakota. There was a couple of spots that just didn't go completely insane, um, thankfully, in the U.S. as well. It was nice to be able to look at from across the pond. Um, yeah. So hopefully um, things don't get too wild. But I think the problem is, like... The, the the current system has to end like and 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 i mean that as a fundamental like for humanity to thrive and prosper in the way that i believe it is capable of this the current fiat backed by nothing money printing lobbyists occupying all the positions of any influence like just the the whole thing like and and it all flows from from the obscene amount of money that they've been able to create and it all flows from there and and that has to end for real growth and and prosperity to to re-emerge and and i don't know how we get that without the crazy revolution this is the this is the problem you know i'd, I'd love to sensibly sit down and discuss with everybody but we don't do sensible discussions anymore um, strange enough, and, and this is why I think the Russian-Ukraine thing is so important. Uh, Putin is a very smart guy. He's a very savvy guy. He's very direct. His speeches are absolutely brilliant. I, I wrote the book about my time in the military called The Art of Peace. And, and uh, 2015, Putin went to the UN and he spoke in October and he was talking to the United States and he said, do you realize what you have done? And when I heard that, I thought, you know, uh, people have been telling me for 40 years I needed to write a book about my military experience because I did so many different things. And I didn't want to do that because I didn't want to glorify war. And Putin's comment absolutely went right to the heart of it. Do you realize what you have done? And I realized that I needed to write a book looking at war from the hindsight of, of 50 years uh, experience after being in the war. Uh, I'm going to tell you, 98% of the books written by people who, who are in a war talk about how glorious it was. 
or it's not glorious. There's nothing glorious about it. We were killing people who were not enemies of the United States. It, it was horrific what we did for Vietnam. And I've been back to Vietnam twice since then. And it's very prosperous, very nice country. Mm. It, it's wonderful, wonderful people. Yeah. Uh, it, it's got a communist government. Well, who gives a shit? Okay. It's so much better for the people than the government of the United States that, the, you know, we were wrong. And we need to admit we were wrong and stop doing that stupidity. Since 1945, the United States has been involved in 201 military adventures. We've got military bases all over the world. That has to end. And it has existed because we're printing pieces of paper that say they're dollars, okay? And they're not. They're pieces of paper. And they're worthless pieces of paper. And we need to stop that. But uh, it's not just a question of thriving it's actually a question of surviving and i'm not so certain about the chinese but i am very certain about putin putin's got a plan and i think it's a good plan and and i think that at the end of the day we're going to realize what a tremendous leader he is and what a visionary he is well that would be quite the change of tune well, the Ukrainians are going to figure it out in the next two weeks. You think so? What should we look for? Like, if I'm if I'm just sitting watching, you know, reading what's <laughs> what's happening. Like, what what do you think I should be looking for that will give an indication that this is happening? There, there is a website that shows lights all over the world, and if you go to where Ukraine is, there is a big black blob okay because there is no electricity and they're talking about uh, kiev losing 70 percent of the electricity well if kiev is down to 70 percent it means the rest of ukraine is down to 95 percent of their electricity is gone uh they cannot survive uh the winter under the conditions that they're going to go through. And, and I, I wish this was not taking place, but um, Zelensky is a thief and a fool and a coke user. And Boris Johnson told him, keep fighting. Yeah, that's the that's the worst bit, I think. Well, I mean, what business is it of the UK? I mean, what strategic interest did the UK have and having Ukraine and NATO, what strategic interest do the United States have? And the answer is zero. Uh, Ukraine was absolutely accepted as the most corrupt country in Europe. And now we're running uh, Zelensky for the next pope. Yeah. Do you think you get the votes? Well, okay. <laughs> I, I, I think it was Lennon that said something about who cares who gets the vote. It's who counts we the vote. Yeah. Who, who does the counting? Yeah. If the Democrats do the counting, he's going to win. Get <laughs> uh, the vote. You have a big sack of mail-in ballots coming right at the end. Not that I would ever question the integrity of any U.S. election. Of course not. That would be wrong. Only CNN get to do that. Um. <laughs> 
Say that into my lapel. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know what what YouTube's current uh, guidelines on that is. I managed to get away with it once. I had one guy who was here who was really, really sold on it. But um, anyway, uh, Bob, unfortunately, I have to run because I have um, yeah, I have to go and meet my friends for dinner. Um, but it has been an absolute pleasure again to chat to you. It's been been fantastic. Um, is there anything like you've mentioned a couple of books and stuff, which I will put in the description below for people to 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 look at? Is there anything else you want to want to plug aside from from your website and and the books that you've mentioned already? Uh, it it's something that I try to cover most of the time. If you go back to 1928. Uh, the top financial guys in the world were uh, John D. Rockefeller, Bernard Baruch, uh, Joseph Kennedy. They knew a crash was coming and they were prepared for it. And they actually made their fortunes in the depression. And the same thing is true now, but the difference between 1929 and now is People have access to more information than they have ever had before in history. And it is incumbent on anyone who is actually seriously interested in their future, in the future of their family, their town, and their country and the world to educate themselves. Now, I am not a guru. I am not an expert. I've just done a lot of different things and I got opinions about everything but if they will educate themselves the information is available and and they should absolutely do that do not listen to any one person and say he's telling me the truth because it's not necessarily true mm -hmm. so uh with that said i've done about 10 different books everything from uh, short fiction to a book about war to several books about uh, finance and they're very good uh, people should go to Amazon and if all you do is read the reviews uh, you will find something interesting including Pamela Harris works out this, this book is so funny because you keep thinking God how, how does that woman become vice president of the United States? By being from the correct demographic groups, I believe is the, the answer. Um, unfortunately. I, I, there's many I I'm sure there's many talented say, left wing women who would be brilliant at the job. Um, she climbed every ring of the ladder to success on her knees. <laughs> yeah i mean oh crap sorry. that may be true obviously we've no evidence to support that but i mean look at her competence and maybe maybe yeah you can discern some things anyway <laughs> uh oh there was something there was one more thing i wanted to say there when you said that Oh, yes. Also, um, obviously, uh, you mean aside from this show where I'm always telling the truth. Uh, <laughs> um, but, and also, um, if people are interested in the Ukraine-Russia thing, I will be covering this uh, next week with someone who I believe will have some very different uh, ideas to yourself. Uh, the journalist John Sweeney, who's just finished um, a book called Killer in the Kremlin. 
and is releasing a documentary uh, called Compromat about the Russian financial ties to the British government and establishment. So that will be an interesting discussion because I plan to bring up quite a lot of what you've raised today, actually. So, um, yeah, Bob, really want to thank you, man. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, it has been. And of course, this is the first time I've seen you talk to you. Uh, been interviewed you ask excellent questions and i think will be very valuable to to your readers and your listeners well thank you um yeah it's been a pleasure man hey everyone thanks for making it right the way to the end of the podcast i love that you tuned in this long do me a favor hit subscribe because 80 percent of you bastards are not subscribing but you're watching my videos see you next time so whenever I'd be out for a walk, whenever I was going to cook dinner, whenever I was doing cleaning, I always used to spend my time listening to music. And I still really enjoy listening to a lot of music. But what I've discovered is that I can consume so many more books when I'm using something like Open Audible. It's a fantastic, fantastic way for me to make my way through all the things I have to read for this podcast, for things I want to read for fun. That's like fiction and nonfiction. Sometimes I actually prefer fiction when it's being read to me. Uh, I like someone doing the voices, like someone, you know, really getting into the characters. In the case of both fiction and nonfiction, it allows me to spend way more time visualizing what I'm reading. So I can think more about the ideas, I can think more about the scenes that people are trying to paint, and ultimately it just gives my brain more space to think because I'm not concentrating on the words in front of me or trying to stay focused on it. Instead, I can just sort of mindlessly get on with whatever task I'm doing and listening via Open Audible. Now, the reason Open Audible is great is because it allows me to do it straight from my desktop. I try to stay away from my phone as much as possible in order to sort of maximize my productivity because it can be a very fast way to waste half an hour. Whereas if I just open my laptop and hit play on Open Audible, I can connect it to my Bluetooth speaker and then I don't even have to go anywhere near my phone. Do you like free stuff? I'm sure you do. Well, I'm gonna give away a free copy of Open Audible to one lucky person that signs up for my mailing list in the next month. Now, those of you who are already signed up, don't worry. You can be involved in the draw as well. Just give me a rating or review on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts and post it on Twitter. Send it to me via email. Respond to something I've posted on YouTube. Somewhere you can prove you've got a screenshot and I will enter you in the draw. I have to admit, I used to be a little bit of a book snob. I wouldn't even consider a Kindle, let alone an audiobook. It just felt like cheating. But that is until I tried Audible and Open Audible. Ever wonder where I find the time to read all the books that my guests have written on this show? Well, this is the answer. When I'm behind in my reading, I just jump to audiobook. Open Audible is a cross-platform audiobook manager designed for Audible users that can allow you to download, view, manage, and connect your favorite audiobooks on MP3 so that you can enjoy them across all your devices. Best of all, you can control it all from a desktop application. I'm giving away a copy of Open Audible for the entire month of November. All you have to do is sign up to my mailing list. You'll find the link in the description below or go to openaudible.org for more information.